You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. We are pumped. Ball caps are turned around. We are sweaty as hell. Oily. <laughs> it's hot in this bar. <laughs> yes, uh, man, I wouldn't mind that being our theme music at all. <laughs> That's just so, so badass. Well, Opened a little piece from Giorgio Moroder there called uh, The Fight from uh, the Over the Top soundtrack, which you'll hear a lot of this whole episode. So, um,. All right, so we are back. Um, this week we are covering uh, Men from the Gutter, which is what what year? 1980? I believe it uh, was 81, I thought. Well, let's go with that. 83. Yeah, well, there you go. 83, and then uh, Over the Top from, uh, I think, 86, 85, 86. This is, this, 86. Uh, yeah, we'll go that way. Sounds good to me. Um, which was directed by one uh, Menahem Golan, a canon film. We don't, we haven't done as many of those as I would like, but we'll get to that. I do want to say, uh, just in the beginning, I think I thought about this last night, and it was just just kind of happened this way, um, which is fitting. But I was thinking about just the programming programming of this show, and I think really in the grand scheme of things, whether these films are the best films we've ever done or they're not. This really is is quint, a quintessential GGTMC episode. I think when we started out, we wanted to cover more '80s action because there seemed to be a real lack of '80s action in podcast coverage, and uh, I we also felt there seemed to be a really lack of Asian film coverage for the most part, beyond your your odd Chambara or uh, Shaw Brothers films. So I think it kind of encapsulates what we had set out to do almost 200 episodes ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean these are these are um, genres that uh, we adore, mm-hmm. and uh, Men from the Gutter I'd never seen, um, never Me neither, and never even heard of actually I should say um, until you know you had brought it up some time ago. But um, uh, over the top, obviously, <laughs> quintessential uh, GGT uh, GGTMC material there. That's the kind of films that uh, one of the types of films, both of these films I should say, but. Definitely one of the types of films we had talked about that nobody was really talking about. And I actually yeah. remember talking to F-13 of Cinema Diabolica off the air. And he was saying that, you know, nobody covers, you know, these these types of movies. Like, and because I, I was talking about Stone Cold and I was talking about Over the Top and, you know, movies like that. And he's like, nobody does that, man. We're going to do it. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. 
All right, so that's what we're covering. Um, let's get into what we've been watching. Mine's very short, so uh, whatever you got, let me hear it, bruh. Okay, I'm having problems with my headphones, of course. Uh, yes. Give me a sec. It's okay, you're having problems with your headphones. I'm just having problems with my head this morning. Dun, dun, dun. Do, 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 do. Dun, 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 dun. Ooh. There it is. Okay. There it is. Uh, I had a, an average week, it seems. Five is the number. Um, see, part of it is when we record on Sundays, it's, just one, it's one of those things, if we still recorded Tuesdays or Wednesdays, I could probably, well, I always say I feel like I'd be cramming more stuff, but it's all the same. I don't, so I think that's a pipe dream. Um, firstly, I had the chance to go to the Tiff Bell Light Box with some incredible people, Randy and Lisa, yeah. our dear friends. They were in town. I had a chance to see them a couple times. Um and we went to see a film that our dear friend in Utah, The Brin, had been talking about very highly since Cannes. He basically had said that uh, this was the film that Tree of Life should have been. And that is uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yes. Which has gotten a limited run uh, release here in North America. Um, you know, over the past few months, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, (laughs) here we go. Um, It's quite a good film. I hate to say it to Bren. He called me like he was chomping at the bit he had to hear, you know, someone else going to talk about it. I told him, I hate to break it to you, but there's only one Malik. There's only one Tree of Life. So um, Beast of the Southern Wild is a good first film. It's beautiful. It captures New Orleans um, quite well. This filmmaker, I think it's Ben Zeitlin is definitely one to watch. Um, the girl in it who plays Hush Puppy puts in maybe the best child performance I can recall. I mean, she's just astounding in it. Um, it, it just It's a bit unfocused. There's a few problems I had with it, but nonetheless, a very good film with everyone's time. It'll show up on my top 30 at some point. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking in the, in the probably in the 11 to 20 or 21 to 30 range. Seems like it's like a little bit like this is a vibe I get from uh, trailers and stuff like a little bit like where the wild things are or something like that. But you you get a bit of that vibe because it does kind of look at things through the child's eyes and there's some shaggy kind of um, uh, creatures that are kind of um, more in in the, the mind, I guess, in the heart of a of like, a young girl. Like some scrunts <laughs> from Lady in the Water. <laughs> I've never seen that, oh, and yeah, I they're... thought you were making. Uh, yeah. A rather crass joke, but yeah. Yeah, there's some kind scrunt, of scrunt. Name. Yeah, they, <laughs> it's like a nickname for a skunk cunt or something. Yeah, which would probably <laughs> smell very good. Um, so yeah, definitely a good film. I'm gonna have the word scrunt stuck in my head all day. Yes. Uh, I jumped into Netflix Instant. I watched Screwballs, written by Jim Wynorski. Nice. It's. Um, <laughs> A classic, I've never seen it. A classic of the genre, I guess. Classic of the genre. Uh, it's good. I mean, it's very crass and stupid, and I I couldn't help but laugh, and I, I found it charming, and there's a lot of titties. It's an 80s sex comedy, and it, it does exactly what it sets out to do, so I enjoyed it. I, I had fun with it. It left a smile on my face and uh, a boner in my pajama pants, so I guess... Yeah, there you go. I added the boner in the pajama <laughs> pants for added effect, but... You know, you get the picture. The the I I have a very soft reviewing those type of movies. One of the reasons why I never pick those movies very often, 
I don't think I can honestly review 80s sex comedies because I like them all, even though 90% of them are god-awful. Yeah, there's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> and I know they're bad, but that's like that's like the genre I have like the most uh, nostalgia for because mm-hmm. because it doesn't exist anymore, really. I mean, American Pie is probably as close as that genre really ever got back to being, right? So, Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, it was gone for a long time, but... Uh... Man, when you get to see, finally see Purity Bush's titties at the end of this film, I was so happy. <laughs> I mean, you're waiting for it, and they're just genius. They tease and tease and tease with it, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's fun, man. It's pretty stupid, but it's <laughs> it's it's fun. So, um, then I watched a documentary documentary on Netflix Instant uh, that I highly highly recommend to everyone. It uh, focuses on. Uh, I think I think it's he shares his name with his son, or his son shares his name with him. Bobby Hurley Senior. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it's I think his name's Bobby. It's, it's anyways Bobby Hurley's father. Uh, he is a high school basketball coach in New, in Jersey City, New Jersey. Right. Um, he, for a legendary program, I think it's St. Anthony's, and they've won up to the current times. I think twenty six state titles. Um, some astounding numbers from him. I think only a handful of his seniors never went on to college. Um, just some really great numbers, and it's a really great documentary looking at a guy who had a chance to do something financially a lot more rewarding, but stays in the trenches uh, to help shape these kids' lives. And uh, it's it's quite a good documentary. I think whether you're a sports fan or not, there's something to gain from it. Um, from a you know a social kind of uh, standpoint as well as from a sports standpoint, so very good documentary. Have you seen it? Uh, I don't think I have. Yeah, it's on instant. He's so he's he's in a bunch of he's in a bunch of the documentaries I've watched because he's like one of the uh, legendary high school basketball coaches. But uh, don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's it's good, and you know I was a big Bobby Hurley fan as much as I don't like Duke. Um, I always liked Bobby Hurley. I think he was one hell of a point card. Him and Leitner were the only two. Well, and Grant Hill to a lesser degree, but him and Leitner were the two Dukies, and for obvious reasons, I can see why you don't like either one. But well, well uh, you know. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really a bummer. As an aside, what happened to Bobby Hurley? You know, with the car accident and stuff. It's uh, it's too bad. But you know, that's that's another story for another day. But very good documentary. The street stops here. I uh, decided to keep the documentary train rolling. Uh, watched Inside Deep Throat, which of course looks at the impact that the the film Deep Throat had on society and the people involved with making it. Um, it's funny to see a lot of old men and women talk about porn. When you look at these old men and women, they just seem like uh, grandpas and grandmas. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and uh, even Harry Reams. I mean, he just seems like such a nice, nice older man. You know, and uh, it, it's it's a good uh, good documentary. I don't think it's great, but it's well edited. They got some really great um, minds involved. Norman Mailer talks on it. Gore Vidal, uh, Dennis Hopper narrates. Um, you know, good stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that one quite a bit. Um, I saw that a long time ago. I need to revisit yeah, it's that. Been out since two thousand five. So yeah. it's and it's on instant. So 
it's uh, it's there, but it's good because it kind of looks at everything from sort of the cultural aspect of the film, the legal aspect, the people involved. Just you know, it's very thorough, which is good. A lot of times, documentaries look at things kind of wide-eyed from one perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kind of look at a fair approach. Okay, so next up, uh, a lot of stuff's coming off instant, and now I'm in the boat with the rest of you trying to cram stuff from instant that it's expiring on August first or whatever month ends. Uh, so I was, I've been, to be honest, behind the scenes, I've been kind of tossing around doing the, getting the blue for rock and roll high school for the show. Yep. So, and I haven't seen it in probably about 10 years at least. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to watch rock and roll high school. I love the Ramones. I love the film. Um, might as well watch it. You know, it's short. So I rewatched it and. And I'm going to get blasted by probably Brian, by Roop and, and Ensley for this one. Um, I really don't like uh, PJ Souls in it. <laughs> yeah. I think she sucks as Riff Randall, man. And I know a lot of people are going to kill me for this. I never had a problem with her until I watched it yesterday. And when I watched it yesterday, because I think when I watched it, I was younger and just kind of, you know, it, it would appeal to me. I mean, it, it's rock and roll high school, man. Um the film still appeals to me. Mary Warnock's great in it. Yeah. Um, you know, even Clint Howard's great. Everyone, you know, everyone's fun. The Ramones are, are the Ramones. You know, they're they're awesome in it. Um, but I just feel like like PJ Souls is so like it, it just seems very insincere and very much like an actress playing Riff Randall versus someone who you can buy as Riff Randall. Mm. Like almost like someone's aunt trying to be hip, even though she was young when the film was made. <laughs> I just don't buy her as Riff Randall, man. Like I don't buy that she's into the Ramones, that she's dancing around her bedroom listening to the Ramones. I just, I don't buy it. <laughs> I, I know you're a fan too. How do you feel? Does this... Uh, uh, she doesn't bother me much, but I've, <clears throat> I've never thought that, you know, for me, she was never the draw of the film. She's not. Yeah, but no. uh, I don't have that issue with her um, either because the... To me, the film's you know badly acted across the board, but I, lo I love the, you know I love the movie. I mean, it's a badly acted film, but a film I love either way. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but I can see where you're coming from there. Because everyone else works on their parts for what what's expected of them. But it's funny because it never like it never struck me as anything mm -hmm. until yesterday. <laughs> because I think it's one of those things too. When you get older, you look for different things in films, right? Right, right. Just like even with music, some music you can keep with you your whole life. Like I've I've been in Thrones since I was a teenager, right? Um, and some films you keep with your whole life, but it's just funny now. All that time that's passed, and now I have a problem with Riff Randall, not the character, just her portrayal. But you know, I know some people are gonna fucking kill me for that, but whatever. I gotta keep it real. <laughs> uh, and that's it, man. That's my week. Nice, nice. Um, I only watched one other thing, and that was the immortal Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Is that part two? Is uh, that a yeah, that's, that's part two, yes. That Ooh. is a part two. Um, uh, it's Neville Dean and Taylor joint. <laughs> so I've never actually seen a Neville Dean and Taylor film. This is my first no? one. Yeah, this is my first one. I've never seen Crank or Crank 2, and I've never seen uh, Gamer. Never saw a gamer. My favorite film of the year. <laughs> I don't think, and I think it's the only three films they've done besides this one. Um, what I do know of Neville Dean and Taylor is they they do go crazy with their camera and stuff, and you know I admire the fact that they're looking for different types of shots. Uh, there are some amazing shots in this film. Uh, some stuff that'll blow your fucking mind. Um, and it's not really, it's not like 
from what I understand, what like cranks like or like gamers like, not as frenetic or yeah. kind of methy. Yeah, not quite as frenetic. They do some things. They do some things that are very what you've come to know Neville Dean and Taylor as, but uh, they don't do a whole lot of stuff. Uh, but it, it it's it's not a great movie. Um, it, it, the effects look good. Uh, the movie's just bizarre. Uh, it's really, it's just like the other Ghost Rider film. It's, it's not really that good, but I got a feeling it'll live a lot longer than a lot of films because it's so fucking weird. <laughs> My girl's in it, isn't she? Uh, Eva Mendes? No, she's not in this one. This one she has. Was, was she in the first one? This one has the girl that played the prostitute that George Clooney fell in love with in the American. Oh wow, that's an odd choice. Odd yeah. casting. Hmm. But this one, uh, this one will live in infamy because. Uh, Nick Cage swore when he went into this one that he was going to, he, he said himself he was going to do his extreme acting. Oh, wow. And he, uh, he really does. Uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> some old school Nick Cage extreme acting in spots. It's pretty fucking out there. <laughs> so, I might uh, avoid it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's way out there. If you're not a fan of his extreme acting, uh, <laughs> you, you might not want to watch this one. <laughs> Because it goes places that uh, only Nick Cage would go, and only Nick Cage can go, probably. Um, it was okay. You know, it was an hour and 35 minutes long, uh, but it was in- ultimately very average. On instant? No, 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 no. I got it on Blu-ray. It came in the mail, and uh, I checked it out, and uh, you know, looked great, of course. Who's the villain? And uh, like I say, it... Uh, some some beautiful shots in the film. Some amazing stunt work. I mean, there's some stunts that are just insane. And if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, uh, you know, I see why Neville Dean Taylor get the shots they get because they do the stunts with the actors sometimes. Uh, there's one where they uh, they shoot this shot where they, uh, they stay behind an actor flying off a motorcycle, and it looked real. And I thought, no, there's no way that's not real, but it, it was real. Wow, and uh, they're hanging off the. Uh, I think Neville Dean, I think, is hanging off the off the uh, cable with the other person, three hundred feet in the air, mm-hmm. with the camera attached to his body, and uh, they're both flying backwards while a car is shooting guns at them it, it, off a three hundred foot drop. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> That's cool. You know, I like the crank films. I certainly like them more than Lowe likes them. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, I do like them. I didn't. I I hated camera. There, I think they aren't. I would not say they're without talent. I do like them. Uh, if they can calm down a bit, I think they, they have a, 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 a little trajectory here is, is, you know, a serviceable genre directors, definitely. Yeah. I think they are very uh, interesting um, directors. I've only, I've, only seen, I've only seen this film. Um, I haven't seen anything else. Um, but I think that they are... You know they're 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 like the next evolution of that the crazy frenetic uh, action filmmaker. So I think they have a, a very solid film in them. But uh, I don't know if I can't judge off just this one film, obviously, because I haven't seen the other three. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. No Jeff Jellios for Sammy. Yeah, you know I just it's not that it's just I've never really got it really the kind of like you know the rager to sit down and uh to to watch the crank films. I don't know if I'd fall on the side that Lowe falls on, but I don't think Lowe likes most Jason Statham films. Yeah, he doesn't like the Statham. Which, you know, that's fine. I can I can understand where he comes from there because we've talked about before that, you know, Jason Statham's good, but he's better sometimes if... Uh, the material's know, better. Yeah, and the people around him are good, too. 
Mm-hmm. Like he fits in good with a group of guys, but sometimes, sometimes he doesn't have that really great. Uh, I don't know. He never bothers me in the films he's in. It's the films he's in that bother me sometimes. I I yeah, quite like Jason Statham. Yeah, I just think that some of the junk films he does, I just I don't like. Yeah, That's, yeah. But yeah, but he can bring it when he needs to. Like as we as we talked about recently with. Uh, uh, Mustache Man and Nero, uh, Clive Owen and Nero. Uh, oh, the Killer Elite. Killer Elite. Yeah, yeah. Where he is, you know, very good. His quiet acting is, uh, and his you know brooding acting and stuff works. Um, and especially in a in a big cast, I think. I some I had some problems with him in the Expendables. First of all, because his character name is ridiculous. It is, but you can't blame him for still naming him Christmas. <laughs> no, you can't. But. Uh, because he was a little, he had some silly moments in it, but he also had some great moments in it. So it was, uh, it was a weird, it was a weird thing. I'm hoping I'll have very little problems with him in this well, part too. <clears throat> See, the interesting thing about him in the Expendables is he's the the new blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, everyone else is. It's the it's it's like uh, you know putting uh, putting um, oh I don't know Dwight Howard on the '92 Dream Team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yep. I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's uh, and it works. I mean, he fits in seamlessly for me. But you know, yeah, they give him the name Christmas, and I can't remember what Stallone's. Uh, they all have ridiculous names. Oh yeah, they do. Barney, Barney something. Barney, yeah, that's right. Barney something. Barney, Barney Ross. Barney Ross, and then well, they should have just taken uh, Stallone's name from Commando, called him John Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, what should we call it? The uh, I was thinking about that. Liam Hemsworth, the younger Hemsworth brother, is in the new one. So is he? So they kind of shoehorning him in. So people probably have some issues with that. But. Uh, he seems like a mope. Chris would have worked better. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I had blue cheese for breakfast with some pizza, cold pizza, before we recorded, and that might have been a bad decision. Could have been. Could have been. I don't know if. Uh, don't it's know. I'm gonna go well with the coffee I'm about to drink. Oh no, blue cheese and coffee. Oof. Sound like you are fucking. Are you, are you sure your name's not Alex? I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I'm not loaf because a I don't know if the, the mustache. B I love the Statham. So <laughs> and 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 D you haven't belched yet. So <laughs> yeah, I have a handful of walnuts and a handful of shredded cheese in my hand. <laughs> All right, All right. So we're gonna take a short break. Uh, what do you want to talk about first here? Uh, do men from the gutter. Sure. Okay, cool. Let's do it. All right, we'll take a break. Be right back. What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. Oh, 
everybody. Welcome back. little uh, opening music from uh, over the top there from one Robin Zander on Cheap Trick. So it almost sounds like he almost sounds like Frank Stallone a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and it's got that Loggins. The Loggins is featured on the soundtrack. It's got that, that 80s like power ballad-y kind of Loggins yeah. sound. Loggins is the master of the 80s movie soundtrack. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the master. Anyway, and we'll get to him shortly as well. All right, so uh, we are doing uh, Men from the Gutter, so I'll let you synopsize, and you pick this one, so we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I've been actively trying to um, see a lot of the Shaw Brothers stuff from the 60s, 70s, and even the 80s that I hadn't seen. Um, uh, that was more get away from the period stuff that their kung fu films do so well. Um and get into this, you know, this kind of stuff, which is more contemporary, as it were. So, um, directed by Nine uh, M Choi, who uh, who's been featured on the show before. Oh, nice! Should be said. You know, we did the Seventh Curse. Oh yeah, that's right, we did. Nine M Choi I said Nine Nine. I can't what I said. Nine M Choi, Nine M Choi, and you know, he of course, as we said before, directed Story of Ricky. Um, he really is known a lot more for his kind of bonkers filmmaking than anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he did this in Brothers from the Walled City early on for Shaw Brothers that were very different from a lot of his later output. It's almost like um, an art comparable to Fulci, where Fulci came up with crazy horror films. Uh, and Nilam Choi did, you know, kind of crazy, I guess, horror or culty films, um, before, you know, after some early kind of. <laughs> More grounded in reality type stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah. Is, it, is, he, is he Vietnamese? Is it... I, I think so. That seems at like least, a... at least his, fa- his family. Uh, I would believe is based on his name. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe raised, uh, maybe certainly Chinese by birth, but by blood or heritage. Uh... He directed a film called Three Stooges Go Undercover. <clears throat> oh wow. <laughs> Like whoa, <laughs> that was his That's third a, film. This is his second. It's incredible. Yeah, I've never uh, seen that. That. Is, that is incredible. Um, of course, there isn't a, a, a plot. So I got to give it up to Chris Davies, Rowan, Jake, and for the people who really uh, pushed this film. Mm-hmm. Um, give credit where it's due. I don't have a fucking synopsis for this film. There's, um, there's not a lot of info available for this film. Yeah, it's out on DVD. Uh, the celestial disc, it's just, you know, it's it's reasonably well done for what it is, but uh, it's anamorphic widescreen. Um, gosh, it, it, it's really what it is. Is it's a a gritty kind of cops and robbers film with a lot of twists and turns, um, and that's kind of it. There's some double crossing. There's murders. It's um, and there's lots of '80s glasses. There's a lot of 80s glasses, man. There's a lot of 80s glasses. Um, yeah. And scarves. <laughs> yeah, there are. Bogdanovich would approve. Um, it's got a pretty interesting cast. Uh, for what it's, it should be for what it should be said, for what it's worth, uh, Jason Piao, who's been in a lot of really insane films like Bloody Parrot and uh, Holy Flame of the Martial World and a ton of other stuff, he was a, a go-to guy. Um for the Shaws. He didn't quite hit it big as, as I think some people wanted him to, but certainly uh, very competent. Lo Meng, one of the Venoms, yeah. uh, is in this as one of the cops. 
Um, and Long Ting Chang, who has been on our show before, ironically, uh, with Choi Hawk's Don't Play With Fire. And this film to me, and, and Nam's work with his, his kind of grittier stuff, really feels to me like Choi Hawk and really feels like Don't Play With Fire. Yeah, this, um, does, this does feel like Don't Play With Fire. And it does for a few reasons, which I'll get into kind of as we go. But uh, other than that, of course, the, the excellently named Parkman Wong, who uh, worked with a lot of these guys uh, pretty consistently. So the the uh, and, the uh, last actor you mentioned because uh, they don't have the cast over here. He's the one that plays uh, Zijin, the crazy wild hitman. Is he the one? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I can't remember the names of the characters, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'd have to point them out as we were watching it. Too. Parkman Wong's a bit of a darker complexion. He's a bit older than the rest of the guys in the film. Okay. So he worked a lot with uh, Michael Mew and some other few few other uh, actors in the film and a bunch of other stuff from Hong Kong around that time. All right. So I picked this. Uh, very curious to get your thoughts on it. Okay. Um I'm looking through some uh, some some looking for some notes online as to that actor, but anyway, okay, here we go. Uh, first of all, never seen it, never heard of it, um, and sadly didn't even realize that we've done a film before from this director because it's not a director's name that rolls off the tongue. But now I'm like, wow, you know, we have done because he did those kind of infamous films, and of course he did the um, the story of Ricky, which is I guess is the one everybody knows him from, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of his calling card in the sort of genre films. Yeah, I remember people. I remember reading some articles about him in the past, including an article on the story of Ricky. I think in a Fangoria magazine or a Room Work magazine. I can't remember what. And they were talking about that the guy was uh, he was uh, not easy to get along with. A little, a little, a bit of a madman. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Which, if you look at his cinema, maybe that makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's uh, argumentative. Just maybe a little on the. Uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit on the uh, crazy side. Um, so we're immediately thrown into the action on this one uh, after some beetle death. Uh, <laughs> we and somebody trying to some couple beetles trying to take some dinner. Yeah, man. Uh, we're immediately thrown into action in this one. Um, cops chasing uh, people on foot and by car. Uh, kind of sets up this kind of almost revenge slash you know cops doing their job thing. Which uh, there's like two storylines going on here, I guess. You got the uh, the brainless and uh, the other guys that are wanting to rob a uh, um, an iron car, an iron. I don't know what what do we call those things. Like a Brinks truck, basically. Yeah, like a Brinks truck. Yeah, I can't remember what they call them. Why, why am I having a hard time remembering what the fuck they call that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's something I don't think about all the time. But uh, so they're they're working on that, and then you got the cops who are. Uh, trying to figure out the uh, murder of uh, somebody who played squash a lot, and uh, yeah, like- which is just an insane scene. <laughs> it really is. It looks like Gordon Liu in a way. Oh, at first, I thought it was Gordon Liu, and I was like, oh, that's- <laughs> Gordon Liu doesn't get go out, go out like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so the, there's multiple storylines going on, but the 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 film is handled quite well because it's only 83 minutes long, right? Mm-hmm. So. It's handled pretty uh, pretty well. Uh, it's very. It is. It does have that. Uh, Don't play with fire. Kind of look to it. It's kind of got this kind of gritty. You know, almost. Uh, well, it's almost uh, the city scenes are shot with all the steam coming out of the ground stuff. It's almost very Taxi Driver sometimes in some ways, or well at least the opening of Taxi Driver and some other things. 
uh, from the 80s with that steam coming out of the ground type look, uh, which I like quite a bit. I, I love it. And I think what well, film you still haven't seen that I, I really want to get the blue um, and do on the show is Johnny Toe's Sparrow because that um, romanticizes uh, Hong Kong, whereas this one, yeah, like Don't Put the Fine, some of the films at the time, some of the films that did New York at the time in the 80s, just gritty, grimy, this fucking concrete jungle. Yeah, that's what this feels like. It's got a very concrete jungle look to it. I'm like, the first minute or so, I was like, really like slow motion car driving. And- Looks almost like a, for- like a fucking foreigner rock video or something. I don't know, it's... <laughs> Yeah. It's weird, a lot of fog and yeah. aggressive kind of hot licks going on. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of hot licks between the two a films. A lot of hot licks, surprisingly yeah. in this one, man. <laughs> Nam bringing the hot licks. Uh, Shaw Brothers. Yeah, so so we get, uh, you know, we introduced all of our characters very quickly, as is pretty much par for the course in, in Hong Kong cinema. So you kind of have to, you know, if you're not paying attention, uh, it's one of those things, right? Where you know, as Americans, we we're very lazy because everybody's kind of explained to us, and and of course, you know, it's our language and stuff. Now this is, you know, subtitled and everything, so you get introduced to a lot of characters very quickly. So you kind of got to keep up, and uh, we get the good cop, bad cop sensibilities. We get uh, a lot of that kind of craziness. <laughs> it's like a, a couple twins getting trying to get locked up at one point. I don't know what's going on there. Oh, the, the, I don't know if they were corrupt monks or what they were, but <laughs> I really like that stuff. And it's See, this is a film that's right in a weird era because other than kind of um, the, uh, like the, um, the Jacko, Jacko, wow, Duracell, uh, the Jackie Samo early 80s stuff, this was right, right before Hong Kong really burst on the scene with a lot of their action. In this one, there's some insane stuff, but it's not the level you get with some of the girls with gun stuff and the other woo stuff that that came afterwards. Right, right. right. It's uh, kind of like yeah, it's slice of life, kind of gritty. Um, yeah, it just a bit, a bit of a different thing, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that guy you were actually talking about who played Zajin was actually Jason Pow Pow Pie Pow or whatever. That's the guy. That was one of the guys. Uh, that's the guy I like the most in the film. He's in Bloody oh. Parrot and stuff. Yeah, he's he's in a lot of stuff. And yeah, he's been in some really insane, really fun stuff. Like, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, something Crystal. Oh, God, it's another uh, film right around that time. Portrait and Crystal, Bloody Parrot, and Hero. Holy Flame of the Martial World. Three of the most insane films I've ever seen. Killer, Killer Constable I know he's in. Um, and some other stuff, too. But he is quite good in the film. He almost... With his perm and his mustache, <laughs> almost looks like Yun Hua, um, and which is ironic because Yun Hua, I heard choreographed the fight stuff in this film. For those that don't know the name Yun Hua, he was the old man, the husband, the old husband in Kung Fu Hustle with the mustache and the perm. Yes, there you go. So he and another uh, Yun, Yun Boom, I think, choreographed the fights in this film and the, the sort of stunts and action. So, yeah. Nice, nice. You just uh, everybody that doesn't know these films just got terribly confused. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had to give her a, a reference of where they would know Yun Hua from. Which, yeah. like I said, he was the the old husband. Uh, he he did a lot of shot stuff, man. He was, yeah, yeah. He, 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 was, he was a villain in a few um, Jackie films. Well, he's you know eighty three titles, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think in ninety five or ninety four or so he kind of bowed out, but he's kind of come back recently in some TV shows, and he was in that film Seven Swords in two thousand five. Yeah, and after Kung Fu Hustle, I know I think he did 
what is it called? Kung Fu Mahjong. And he did a few things that kind of was a bit of a resurgence for him. So, yep, yep. Or sorry, are we talking about Pai Piao or are we talking about uh, Yun Wah? We're talking about Pai, Pai Piao. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking of... Uh, yeah, he did uh, Choi Hak, ironically, Seven Swords. But anyway, I'm muddying the water. Let me yeah. get back to it. <laughs> Getting out of control here. Anyway, uh, but his character is a lot of fun because, uh, you know, he's very he's very much out for vengeance, right? So he's the, one of the easiest characters to get behind in the film. Um, he also has arguably the most dramatic contents, contact lens scene ever put to a celluloid. <laughs> I have never seen contact lenses put in with so much pomp and circumstance in my life. Yeah. I mean, the music is like, the music, he's like putting one in, it's like, boing, <laughs> boing. Yeah, it's, it's, it is very fierce. It's like, wow, <laughs> this is going to get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then, he, then he goes in and he, he kicks some squash ass. He does, man. He really kicks some squash. Let's throw some motherfucker through <laughs> through a squash wall. It it should be said that, that this scene is is is, is very well done. It's it's very insane in a very small space. And I love how it takes the people above that are watching the squash match about <laughs> about five minutes before they realize are they fighting? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can pretty much catch on to it like right away if you're anybody else except those five people above. So yeah. it's pretty pretty interesting. Um but his character's always, you know, he's, he he just throws caution to the wind when it comes to getting his vengeance, right? And he's he's not really the the brightest. I don't even think he's a hitman by trade. He's just a guy that's looking for vengeance for something that happened, you know, which I won't give away. Um, oh man. Um, at one point, one they do a uh, they do a uh, autopsy of that same character, and I think the doctor says fractured liver. I don't know if you can fracture a liver. But uh, that's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I I don't know that you can either. But uh, you know, sadly, with some uh, Hong Kong films, the, <laughs> the subs are less than perfect. This one's reasonably good, but there's some that are just terrible, man. You know, like there is a, there is a few lines in this that are pretty funny. Like there's a moment later on in the film it's a sub when a guy falls out of a building and uh, he lands on the concrete and. Look, and the, the the subtitle, there's like a crowd of people coming, they go, look, a dead person. Which is pretty great. Yeah, yeah exactly. The uh, the film really does move very quickly. I said that earlier, but I mean, it really does. I mean, it goes, um, it's 83 minutes long, and it, it, it just keeps going and keeps going. And next thing you know, it's over. And it, it's pretty insane how quick it goes. And um, I really liked the uh, the pacing uh, of everything, and I also liked uh, the Mister Zoog uh, character because he's a real piece of work, right? He's <laughs> he's like he's almost like his like a like a seventies Elvis Presley uh, that smacks ladies around in restaurants. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what he was a turtleneck blazer combo too. <laughs> yeah, he's a very smug bastard too. You know, it's really great. <laughs> And uh, I really in, enjoyed his character quite a bit. I wish he kind of would have been in the film a little bit more. Um, but every time he is on screen, he's a lot of fun. Same thing with the the Pai Pao, uh, character and how kind of, you know, charismatic these actors are. Uh, that's really one of the great things about this piece as opposed to some of these films is that sometimes the actors aren't completely charismatic. But these guys, man, I mean, they don't even have to say anything. They can just come on screen. They're very charismatic looking. They get great looks and stuff. Um, like I said, there are many scarf sightings in this one. I mean, everybody's got a scarf on. They're blowing in the wind. 
I mean, oh, yeah. they're rocking scarves, man. It's 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 <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's a high. It's 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 a very. It's a very desperate film in a lot of ways. It is it's every, very desperate. It's, every, a, it's a hungry film. Everyone's yeah. hungry. They're desperate. Yeah, everything's high stakes, right? Yeah. So it's very interesting because it kind of gets you. It kind of gets you involved that way. It's, it's everything's very high stakes, um, out of control. Um, these guys got nothing to lose because most of them, it seems like, except for the cops, maybe, um, they they just kind of laid it all on the table. So they got to kind of deal with the consequences either way. And uh, I found that kind of interesting. Kind of an interesting angle to take because at first it starts out, it seems like it's going to be a standard cops versus bad guys film, and uh, it is in a lot of ways, but it also has you know these other storylines, and uh, of course, it has the great you know stunt work that is known from Asian cinema. There's some pretty great stunts in this film, <laughs> oh, big time, including a finale that's this, this fucking bonkers man, and oh. that involves uh, you know, the great uh, movie convention of uh, storage containers from for ships. Uh, which they always stack up and create this kind of maze, and you know people get on top of them, cars running around. It's just you know it's 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 those those uh, those storage containers. They're like movie sets made from heaven or something. They're like you know, nobody ever thought they'd always be these great movie sets, but sometimes they go to them, you know, because mm-hmm. they they're colorful and they create this maze like wonder and they're sandbox for the yeah. right where the right people are on them. They're right. a real uh, limitless sandbox. But I enjoyed the film. I, I, I'll be honest with you. For about twenty minutes, the first twenty minutes, even though it was kind of breathless and and moving along, about the first twenty minutes, I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm really gonna, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna love this because this is kind of standard stuff. This isn't exactly what I. But then I started to fall for the characters a little bit, and once I started to fall for the characters, I really started to care about the uh, the consequences of what happens. And there's a there's a lot of scenes in here of people with guns to heads, uh, sweatiness, uh, characters dying that uh, you know you don't expect because you know it's just the way they set the story up. You don't expect. I mean, it's a little shocking. I have to admit, uh, very weird scene involving a woman saying she's pregnant and then a couple other guys like rubbing up against her. And <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're going to be a nephew or is it a niece? <laughs> It's very strange, very strange. But uh, no, I had a good time with the film, man. But I don't have a whole lot of notes on it, though. It was hard to take notes on. Uh, I just think it, it moves very quickly. And if you're looking for a different type of Shaw Brothers movie, this is a good example, or actually a great example. Yeah, it certainly is. 1983, kind of betwixt and between. Um, it just does have a really feverish, hungry, desperate feel to it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I do quite like, and the title is just a great title, "Men from the Gutter." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just it evokes everything it needs to evoke, and <clears throat> even early on, when uh, Brainless and his buddy are talking about uh, the, the heist, they talk about you know why are we the beggars? Why do they get to wear nice clothes? And you get a real sense again of desperation and of class. Yeah. It's not just crime for the sake of crime there's a, they're hungry man they got to eat so i really like that um i'm going to talk about this over and over and over when i talk about this film but the biggest thing i take away from this film man that blue cheese is not working for me this morning man i shouldn't have had cold pizza i'm not 16 anymore oh. um oh. is 
the cinematography. Nam was actually the director and cinematographer. Uh, the cinematography in this film as well as the score for the film. The score for the film is very much uh, influenced by John Carpenter. It's not just the era. There's certain pieces. It's very Carpenter-esque synth. Um, ironically, almost feels like Marauder, whereas in our other film we did, Marauder does stuff that doesn't sound or feel like Marauder. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of ironic. But um, just some of the synthy stuff with the drums and, and stuff like that, it, it just really works well. Uh, and it makes it feel... <sighs> makes it feel... Um, like a Troy Hawk film. Um, this, the film, yeah, it's really smoky and foggy as well, which, you know, is great. Um, like there's a moment when they're in a, like a gambling house or some sort of casino. And there's so much smoke in that scene. There's so much, so many cigarette butts and ashtrays. I, I could literally like feel the smoke settling in my clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just brutal. Uh, there's some good slaps in this film. People oh, really yeah. get smacked hard in this film. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of slaps. Yeah. Everybody's getting yeah. smacked around. <laughs> Big time. Big time. So there's that fight that breaks out at the Opera House. And it's funny because there's a lot of hot licking, like we said, in this film, which is unexpected. And I have to think you know, that... Let me, let me just bring this up just for fun. Giorgio Moroder nowadays uh, working on Glee. Very interesting. Oh, man. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting, mm. isn't it? <laughs> I did not know that. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but I can tell you without any doubt that Nam has seen the movie Walter Hill's classic, one of my favorites, The Warriors. Because a lot of the music in this film, when it doesn't sound like Carpenter, it sounds like Hills. And I think it's, um, oh boy, um, I, I've never blanked on this. It goes to show you I'm getting old, man. I'm tired. Uh, the score for the film, a lot of the, the stuff in that, that that's, um, anyway, it feels like that film. Like There's some specific music during the fight scenes that feel like the, ro- the fight versus the roller skate gang in the Warriors in the right. bathroom. Right, right. So, um, yeah, uh, it's weird seeing one of the deadly venoms with feathered hair. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Oh my God, feather! For the eighties, man, the feathered hair. You know what else? And and I have to say, man, Hong Kong films, that Chinese people feathered hair like nobody feathered hair. Oh yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. That is true. You want to see proper feathered hair, man? Which watch an '80s Hong Kong film? I have to give you props on that. That's a good call. It's yeah, even it's more just, feathered than those '80s sex comedies we talked about. Yeah, way more, man. Chinese people can bring the feather, man. White people got nothing on Chinese people <laughs> with the feathered hair. I mean, it's just incredible. They can get some real like silky helmets up in that hair, up in that head, man. <laughs> silky helmets. Silky helmets <laughs> for Bernard. Um, <laughs> Bernard hates this voice. He seems a bit unnerved. <laughs> and Loaf loves it. And <laughs> Loaf loves it. Um, I like... Nam seems to have a conscious decision made to... to shoot the city, like I said, real low, and almost like the skyscrapers are smothering or, or pushing people down. 
Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the great things about Hong Kong cinema. Sometimes is that when directors really shoot the city well, because mm-hmm. it's 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 an overpopulated city, right? And it's it you know it's it's crazy that uh, people live in cities like this. You know, it's kind of like when they shoot some films in Brazil or. You know, get, or like uh, Slumdog Millionaire was a good example of this. When you really kind of get down in it, you're like, wow, man, so claustrophobic. Yeah. And it really does add to the mood of the film when you do yeah. that, when you do that well. Mm-hmm. Um, what else adds to the mood of the film is the brother Ty rocks a members only jacket in this. Fuck yes. So he knows what's up. Yeah, he does. He knew what show he was going to be on 20 years later. 20 years later. <laughs> Uh, Jason Pai Piao rocks a serious perm in this, like we said, and he's got red cowboy boots on at one point, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. And what's you know what's weird is that there's a couple scenes in this film where t- actors toggle between being permed and non-permed. It's very yeah. strange. Yeah, it's strange. Um, it's almost like Giorgio Moroder's career because he was permed and non-permed quite a few times. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, those, those of you who have never looked at Giorgio Moroder, uh, you should look him up. He is uh, GGTMC to the hilt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are not familiar with him, Italian uh, composer, you should definitely look into him. Yeah, we love the Moroder. <laughs> um, so the film, I think it does something that a lot of um, a lot of Hong Kong, a lot of Asian films do. And they, do, they kind of touch on fate and God willing sort of a path. That's been chosen for these people. It's it's almost like a uh, they're marching towards their destiny. Yeah, and you get that feeling of you know fate and everything else. It's uh, it's 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 great. You know, it adds a certain kind of romantic doom to the film. So um, there's a dirt bike that ramps something in this film too, much like our boy Mitchum did last week. Yeah, the dirt bike uh, the dirt bike scene in this one's a little insane too. It looks like somebody's about ready to die. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of the car chase. Like anytime a car is chasing people on foot, you have to be worried for the stuntmen. You do because it people get hit with these cars, and it it looks pretty painful. Yeah, and it, it's 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 one of those things where it can go wrong so quickly, right? So. Oh, it doesn't take much. It's very innocent. They look very innocent, and it can go wrong. Um, I like enjoying. Apparently, I like uh, the fight scenes in this film. They're shot in tight, which I usually gripe about, but it really adds sort of a visceral immediacy to the film that I think Nam was really trying to go for. Yeah, it's not a kung fu film, so there's not the need to pull out and shoot things in a way that it really clearly shows technique it, it's really a desperate uh, breathless kind of film so that's fine that it's shot that way mm-hmm. um, I, again I really like the concrete in the film it really looks great um, Nam focuses on you know some different technique stuff with sound and using slow motion and you know he clearly was a filmmaker that was interested influenced by films uh, being made outside of Asia at the time which I like I like seeing the melding or the marriage of uh, of Asian film with European film. You know, it's something, again, Choi Hawk did with North American and European influences. So um, <clears throat> a cop car ramps another car, and it looks pretty insane. <laughs> it looks almost, like, legit. Like, it doesn't look like, well, that couldn't have happened. Like, they, they, it was a pretty impressive stunt. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, 
I love the scene with the the, the camera work down at the docks or the shipping yard. And, and it should be said, our, like the back end of our film takes place at a very GGTMC location, sort of an abandoned warehouse or shipping yard. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Abandoned warehouses are, <clears throat> that's where we hang out. Yeah. Especially if they're still operating. <laughs> Especially if they're still firing cranes. Um, <laughs> but, the, yeah, there's a moment Pai Piao, he, he climbs up all these wooden crates. That's yep. just pretty insane. And then he hits the, one of those like steel columns. Yeah. And that he, looked painful. He has, like, uh, a lot of the great moments in this film. He has them. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Um What's weird about the back end, like the last, I, I'm with you, man. Like at first, this film kind of throws you right into it. And man, we were like 55 minutes into the film. And I'm thinking, man, there's only about 30 minutes left. I'm not really in. Like I liked the film, but I wasn't invested. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we get to this uh, warehouse or shipping yard. And then it almost becomes like if Castellari co-directed a Eurocrime film in Hong Kong. Right, right. It's, it, it's a great finale. It's not as insane as last week's final score, right? No, but that different kind of film altogether. Yeah, but it is insane. It's insane in the way Hong Kong doesn't like. There's that kind of miscalculated bamboo ladder slide. Yes, that uh, Pai Piao does, which is just wild, and it's got a moody feel too. It's dark and. You know, I mean, it's well lit, but it's nighttime, and it's just, just still, it's very desperate, and and uh, it's great. I mean, we get some ripped sleeves and fingerless gloves too at the back end, which is good. Um, but I think you know another thing to get back to the camera work, especially when you get people inside like that makeshift office in the in the warehouse. Yes. <laughs> and one of the things, man. Time to wake up, bro. <laughs> Uh, really, that's, that's your alarm really, letting you know blue cheese not good for the morning. Should have went off an hour ago. <laughs> I wouldn't feel like this. Uh, it's a really great kind of the way he slides people or things into frame. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, uh, what else do I got here? Man, there's a few moments where Pai Piao grabs nets when he's jumping around and uses he utilizes nets quite effectively. There's no net confoundment, but there is net utilization. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's it, man. Those are my notes. All right. Um, yeah, so I had a good time with this film. I did. Uh, but it is a weird one to get into. It takes a little while to get into it. Once you're into it, it's all right. But it's it does take a little while, I think, to get into mm -hmm. it. Um uh, my make or break is the finale because once you get yeah. to the finale, everything, uh, pretty much, you pr everything you pretty much thought you liked or thought you were liking, kind of comes through, right? It kind of all kind of comes out then, and uh, the action is really really good and uh, just insane. There is a lot of great moments in between. Like I say, I think uh, Zijin, I think is what he's called in the film, but it's Pai Piao. I think he has the majority of the great moments in the film. Um, he's my MVT, so it should be said to uh, get that in there because he really is the character of the film. I think you come away with the most remembering. So I'll go with him as my MVT. And um, my score, I'm going to go 7 out of 10. Because I do think some of the other stuff, as good as it is and as good as the look is, I don't think it's always... Like the three, the three gangsters, or the three criminals that are doing the the uh, armored car heist. There you go, armored car. That's what I was looking for earlier. Oh, Jesus, what an idiot! Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I almost could have done without their storyline. Yeah, I, I agree. It just I could have done just with the cops and Empire House storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have just been like a Eurocrime type film, and I would have just been fine with it. I actually, probably would have liked it more. But because between the good guys and the bad guys, I mean, just a simple story because the good guys were fun and the bad guys were fun, right? So, so their story kind of. I don't know. It just kind of seems like it didn't really matter much. But, I mean, there are some good moments in there, but I don't know. I just didn't feel like it didn't fit in the film. So, But, oh, yeah, I'll go 7 out of 10. Nice. Okay, my make or break is also the last 15 minutes. It was when things really kind of solidified for me. Um, like you said, it's good up until that point. You're still going to come away from it feeling like it was definitely worth your time. But um, it really comes together in that last 15 minutes. My MVT is uh, Nam's focus on score and cinematography. Two things I was really impressed with with this film, and those are two things that I'm rarely impressed with with Hong Kong films. Mm, nice. So I really dug both aspects, as well as you know the stunts and, and everything else, but the score and the cinematography really worked for me. My score, man, it was about, I gotta say, that finale really bumped it up for me. It was like in the six and a half territory. I bumped it all the way up to a seven and a half. Oh, nice. That finale really really impressed me yeah, that's so 7.5 I have to say I was in the same ballpark I was like uh, 6 six to 6.25 or 6.5 and, and somewhere in there and then the finale took it up to 7 I even wrote it down before I got to the finale because the finale takes it's only like what 10 minutes of the film 15 maybe yeah. maybe, maybe 15 in an 83 minute film so I was writing down notes and I was starting to write down my MVTs and make or breaks because by that point you kind of know where you're going to go right then this finale kind of comes out of nowhere and it's like, whoa, hang on a second. So I'd scratch it out and take it up to a seven, brah. Yeah. All right. So that's our thoughts on Men from the Gutter. Check it out. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk about a little ditty caught over the top. Been a long time coming. We'll be back. <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and smartphone apps, social media marketing. You have questions? We have answers. Icon Has Podcast is the only social media marketing podcast that brings you the latest news, websites, apps, and helpful tips on social media and online marketing. Download it each week to stay up to date with what to do and how to do social media marketing. Visit us at IconHasPodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at IconHasPodcast. the uh the logins yeah wicked guy. 
All right, so this film, Over the Top, says it's 87 on IMDb, 86, 87. You're lying, I was right. <laughs> the uh, plot synopsis is as such, Lincoln Hawk. It's weird in the film. Do you notice a lot of people call him Hawks? With an S? No, I didn't notice Yeah, that. a lot of characters yell at him and say Hawks. I don't know why, but I know his name is Lincoln Hawk. It's very strange. Anyway, he's a struggling trucker who's uh, trying to rebuild his life and his relationship with his son. I'm not going into the one they have here because it gives away some plot points in case people haven't seen this film. And uh, he's also an arm wrestler. So there we go. <laughs> That's the basic plot synopsis. <laughs> this is in that era of 80s filmmaking that I really love that like something got popular and a big star would do a movie. You know, yes. like John Travolta, aerobics, perfect. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's like that thing, or or like uh, John Travolta, cowboy, uh, cowboy bars, the the bull. Yeah, because that's Urban right, cowboy, but, right? So, and the way trucker, this because this t- looks at truckers and arm wrestling. Yes, yes, and sweat, and sweat. So uh, let's hear what you have to say about this. And large William, remember that no review is uh, easy. You got to meet it halfway, bruh. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, that's the truth, man. <laughs> um. So yeah, this was a favorite of both of ours from our childhood. I hadn't seen it since then. Um, I'm going to say with full disclosure, this film has a a special place in my heart because my dad uh, was a trucker and I'd go on trips with him when I was a boy. And um, so when you get a situation in a film that's really made for you know a 12 year old, 11 year old, because really I think this film would appeal most to kids of that age boys of that age and when it hits you at the right time it kind of sticks with you and this film did stick with me and it was it was admittedly poignant despite being what the film is so if I came into this film cold you know, that's why when Real Steel came out last year it, and watching this again it's remarkable how similar they are it really is the same film just um, brought up to date and you know I'm kind of glad they did as goofy as it is with robot boxing I'm glad they did that versus just remaking over the top it seems it seems to me like everybody that sees real steel um even though you know almost everybody unanimously says it's not a great film but they're touched by the father-son relationship right absolutely absolutely they are but see i think that with our kids when they see it when our boys see it it might be to them what over the top is to us and that we're willing to give it maybe a little more of a pass then we would give it if we'd never seen it and watched it now. Yeah, I think if it had been uh, uh, arm wrestling robots, you would have been more into it, maybe. I would have been. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would have been. So yeah, this uh, you know, like I said, the, the whole trucker father son thing. Um, yeah, and Menahem Golden directed it. I don't know how many times he he got into the director's chair versus produced by, but. Uh, yeah, very interesting. How many films I wonder did he direct? I'm looking at it right now. Versus just produce. So um, he produced 209 films. Yeah, very prolific there. And uh, you know you could go through. He actually directed 45 films, and he's actually directing one right now called Alan Seriously? Quatermain and the Jewel of the East. Wow, I never would have guessed that man. He's still working. Doesn't have a cast. I'd be curious as to who is in this film. Yeah, he's still working. And no, I never would have guessed he directed 45 films. You're right. I never would have guessed no. that. I would have thought like a handful. And I think it's, wow, it's really one of those things that, man, he directed the Delta Force. Enter the Ninja. Yeah, I, it's just insane. I associated the infamous the, their Apple cousins, film. I believe. Are they not? Uh, I think so. I think so. 
Yeah, Globus, Golden Globus. Um, very instrumental in our charts. I would have thought that maybe a handful of films were directed at. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they, they have a bigger impact than we thought. Good yeah. to know. I don't know if you heard me, but I did direct the infamous Apple film as well. So the Apple. Oh, seriously? Yeah, the kind of infamous clunker of a film. Yeah. So. Wow, that's really insane. Because that's outside his comfort zone, or yeah. what we knew became his comfort zone. Yeah, I think he pretty much went into like softcore, like uh, thrillers or something after a while. But uh, yeah, yeah, interesting career this guy's had. Say that. Yeah. Wow. Um, the film opens up with a very inspirational power ballad, of course. And <laughs> yes, this film's late. You know, the trucker films really hit a boom in the '70s. We've already done a trucker film on our show with uh, Breaker, Breaker, one on this here is the Rubber Duck, yeah. and uh, this I guess would be our second, <laughs> our second trucker film. And uh, it's a bit of a road movie. It's a father son movie. It's an '80s action film. Um, Stallone carries on the tradition of having. See, everyone had great names in '80s films. He's Lincoln Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Either one of those names would have been enough to to for a character, but he's Lincoln Hawk. A lot of great names. I mean, I like the bad guy name. I mean, Robert Loggia, Jason Cutler, Jason Cutler. Um, Bob. Also, of course, Bull. Was oh, it Bull Harley? Uh, no, it's Bob Bull Hurley. It's Bob Hurley. Bull Hurley. How about that? I thought Bull Harley would have worked better, but yeah. you know. And then, of course, you know, at the beginning, you see Smasher. Smasher, there's uh, Who's real Grizzly name? and Mad yeah. Dog. and Smasher's real name is better than his movie name. That's Magic Schwartz. Oh, that that is the, the Magic Schwartz. <laughs> yes, that nice. is Magic. He's, his little... second appearance on the show, he's, he was in uh, Stone Cold. Magic Schwartz looks like he should be doing the diamond cutter, bruh. <laughs> he's in a... Ooh, he's in a... <clears throat> He's in a film I have to see called Muscle Rock Madness. Oh, my God. We got it. That, oh, man. I'm going to look that up when I'm, when I'm done. Oh, That's fuck? incredible. It's got Ronnie, Danger, Ronnie Dangerfield's in this? Muscle Rock Madness. Yeah. You put this on here so I don't forget to look it up. I don't know what the hell this thing oh, is. Oh, I've just found a film called Muscle Heat. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. There's there's a cast the uh, one of the cast members of uh, Muscle Rock Madness his name is the Beast the Beast and so I don't know what's going on there but I'm gonna cool. not Muscle Wolf Madness <laughs> it looks like it's a music video maybe maybe it's just a music video which makes maybe maybe that's even more bizarre I don't know but he was also in uh, Lionheart he played uh, he was in the racquetball fight wow ironically because <laughs> we just had a racquetball <laughs> fight uh, with our last film yeah and he was in Penitentiary Three as well but I don't remember him. <laughs> Nor do I. It's all about uh, was it Tank Ready? Yeah, him and Zumwalt are both, I think, in Penitentiary Three. Yeah, Zumwalt, one of the great. I like saying the name Rick Zumwalt. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying it all week, actually. <laughs> nice. Too bad you told me Rick Zumwalt died rather young. I think at fifty-two or something. Yes, yes, about fifty-one, fifty-two years old. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, what isn't unfortunate is Lincoln Hawk's uh, affection for. Suspenders and denim shirts. Yes. Be it of the cut-off sleeve or full-sleeve variety. Exactly. He loves it. Um, you know what? I'm going to say in all seriousness, there's a moment in this film when uh, Link goes to pick up his son from the military academy. 
and he's you know he's been cleaning up he's putting his shirt on his tie and stuff he's a trucker you know very blue collar and there's a moment when he gets out of the truck and he's kind of got this very self-conscious apprehensive physicality his, his eyes he doesn't really want to look up directly he's kind of looking down mm-hmm. when he arrives at the academy and it's it's a really nice subtle acting moment actually from a film that is anything but subtle yeah yeah it's what Stallone does well. Uh, yeah, Stallone's it, a much better actor than any most of us. Well, I think most of us know, but I think the most would give him credit for. Right? Yeah he he has a natural charisma. Yeah. Um, does he come across kind of weird sometimes with his vocal inflections and things like that? Yeah. You know, as much as Rocky created Stallone, it, it's hurting too. Sometimes I think I think people see him as that character as much as they. <laughs> You know, and he's not really that guy. Uh, nope. I'm not saying he's a genius, but he's a talented filmmaker, I think, and uh, a talented writer, and a very underrated actor. Didn't he write? Didn't he write Saturday Night Fever? He had a hand in it. Uh, I was. Uh, he directed Staying Alive, the sequel. Well, which, I thought he had a hand in, in the actual script for the original Saturday Night Fever. I think he's had his hands in every script for every film he's been in involved in in some sort of form I'll, I'll look it up and see but i know he i know he did some writing on the uh staying alive i know he did some writing on that yeah because uh, i think frank stallone's on that soundtrack quite heavily if i remember correctly now yeah, he wrote staying alive completely actually should be said so yeah so he's certainly a smarter man than we would give him credit for mm-hmm. and the older i get the more i appreciate um stallone because i used to be all the way schwarzenegger yeah but i applaud stallone for his diversity, he took some chances. Some didn't work. You know, he didn't do comedy as well as Arnie. You know, clearly with "Stop My Mama Shoot" and yeah. Oscar and stuff. But you know, I think as time's gone on, he's he's kind of had a renaissance, and um, he's been vindicated, and he's been kind of you know, it's good for him. Um, it's kind of odd to me being the son of a truck driver that. Lincoln Hawk is a long haul truck driver, yet he has a truck with no bunk in it. Yeah, it's very odd. I, I remember I was going to ask you, was like you say you went on these trips with your dad. I was like, God, I hope you guys had a bunk. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. And it was one of my favorite things, you know, sleeping in the truck with the air ride, and you know, it just it, to me it was very comforting because I was with my dad and we were on the road, and it's just weird that you're a long haul truck driver and you don't you don't have a bunk. Like you can't stay in truck stops all the time. Like it's it's not very. Um, Economical. That can't be good for your back to sleep in a chair like that. No. And that's one of my notes. When he picks up his son, they just sleep on the side of the road. They sleep in the truck, and their their necks are tilted like at a 90-degree angle hanging out the window. Oh, man. It's like, that is horrible, man. Talk about waking up stiff in a bad way. Yeah. Not the way we wake up normally. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> with, our, um, with our Zumwalt sticking out. Zum- <laughs> That's right, man. Um, so, I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time nitpicking things that are kind of broad strokes about the film. This is a film, it it, it it does some things and says some things just to kind of move the story along that we know are plot holes and we know are kind of obvious things. And that's okay. I mean, it's just not really, it doesn't need, to, it does things to serve a function and it's only uh, for function purpose. It's not our sake. It's not subtle nuances of film that the, sometimes that um, uh, Golem was going for so I'm not going to really critique it too too much um, is this uh, oh there's you know it's a good line actually when when uh, 
I was going to see when Zumwalt, when, uh, would have a different film of Zumwalt in the Lincoln Hawk role. Um, <laughs> with, when Link picks up his son and they're driving it, the son and him don't have a relationship, they've never really met, and kind of becomes a little clearer why as time goes on, but um, the stuff, at first, I was kind of rolling my eyes at the stuff when early on the son just kept calling him Sir. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was that was a bit. I mean, even for me, willing to overlook stuff with kind of rose-colored glasses, even that, that graded a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he was very. It's almost like with any '80s film, whether it's the uptight love interest or the son, it's like one's going to be the kind of, you know, the the freewheeling, free dealing, you know, uh, love and life kind of scruffy dog. Another one's going to be the uptight anal one that's that has to let their hair down. Yes, seems to be very much uh, a calling card for '80s films, but. There's a moment early on when the son, he's kind of, he's upset and he says, you know, I, I hate you. And Stone says to him, well, then good, you hate me. You got to start someplace. And I, I like that. Again, as much as it may sound hokey, when you think about the relationship they have, and I'm making more than it probably needs to be, but when he's had no relationship, at least to have some emotion tied to his father is a place to start and a place to move forward from there. So right. looking at it from Lincoln Hawk's perspective, it it does make sense and it, it works for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Loja is the Reagan-era gray-suited villain. Yeah, so I really like I like Loja in this film a lot. He's good in the film. Uh, Funk is pretty much wasted. They keep him in a suit the whole film. Yeah, he has I mean, one. How, he has one great stunt. Yeah, I mean, how do you get Terry Funk and keep him in a suit the whole film? <laughs> Very strange, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, you know what film this reminds me of is there's a film with Terrence Hill that he did with his own son who who died tragically very young, called Renegade. Mm. It's a road movie. Uh, sadly, Terrence Hill isn't an arm wrestler, <laughs> but it's very much over the top. Yeah. Uh, and if you like Terrence Hill, you want to see something different that's kind of off the beaten path, check it out. But uh, Sly's a bit thinner in this than usual. Yeah, yeah, he's not as bulky. He's very fit, but he seems... It's very weird looking at him and then, you know, knowing what he looks like now, right? So he's... Uh. He's very he's very thin but very fit. He wasn't hauling uh, containers of growth hormone in this film, bruh. <laughs> you know, it's good though, it works. I mean he looks like a normal man for I mean, you know, he's in good shape, but you know, he, he's not yeah, the the specimen that he is now. One of my favorite things is the uh, workout mechanism in the truck. Oh, with the pulley, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very yeah, it's fantastic, very much of the time. Uh, I love when they get to the truck stop and and we get Smasher, and I wish it, you know, I wish, wish, wish that Bruno Mattei had done an 80s, like an Italian version of Over the Top. Well, because I mean, there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of grunting, there's a lot of sweat. That brings up the question is Hands of Steel inspired by Over the Top? Oh, for sure, man. For or, sure. It, it, yeah, what's weird, though, is IMDb lists Hands of Steel as 86 and Over the Top as 87. So it's very strange. Mm, it is interesting. <laughs> I've always maintained that Hands of Steel was a little bit of Terminator, a little bit of Hands uh, over the top. Um, I mean, it's obviously those things, so it's very strange. It's like somebody knew something, maybe. And it should be a, said, the guy that wrote the story for this film, Gary Conway. Gary Conway, well, he's one of the guys. He was in a TV show. He was kind of like a teenage heartthrob. He was in a TV show called Land of the Giants, I think. Oh, yeah. He ended up posing for Playgirl magazine. At some point in time. So he originally wrote the story for this. And then somehow along the way, Sterling Siliphant. Sterling who? Sterling Siliphant. 
Well, it's quite the name. It is quite the name, and if if you uh, if you know him, you know his. He he wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot of TV in the fifties and sixties, uh, but he wrote you know the Killer Elite, the original version of the Killer Elite. He wrote Shaft in Africa. Wow, he wrote, you're talking about the Peckham Pot Killer Elite. He, yes, he wrote the Swarm, Circle of Iron. Oh, uh, which is go. the uh, uh, David Carradine, David. Bruce Lee I gonna, film. <laughs> I was going to say David Lee Roth. That would have been a completely different film. <laughs> that would have been an amazing film. Um, but in Telephone, the uh, Charles Bronson film, Charles Bronson, The Enforcer. Mimic, yeah. So there, he wrote a lot of these type of movies. Um, so it's weird. I guess Stallone kind of just hired him and stuff. And, of course, Stallone has credit as well as screenplay writer. But it, it's, it's a weird mixture of... It, it it feels like a total like Canon Films thing, right? It feels like they grabbed all yep. these people they could, and they had a star, and they just they put this movie together. And really, that's what the movie feels like too. Totally, yeah, it totally does. <laughs> um, it's funny because the film it feels very much like you were saying, like a very much like they saw a fad, like you know the aerobics films that were so big for a while, right? Or nin- you know every everything, ninja films, etc. But I like that despite it feeling like a like a, f- oh, this blue cheese is killing me. <laughs> Brutal. I just got off the medicine ball. I'm laying in the Burt pose <laughs> on the floor. Nice. It's awful. Um, but the film still feels very earnest in like a, in like a sweet, sincere way. Yes. You know, which is cool. Um, there's a lot, you know, much like when we watch old wrestling promos that were cut in the 80s, it seems like on the set of this film, with some of these arm wrestlers, there was a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, these guys are really jacked, aren't they? I, mean, I, think, I think the key was, with the direction, was, hey, when you go up to the arm wrestling table, be jacked. As yeah, much as they got to bring it, man. <laughs> these guys come up there hardcore, man. They are. Even early on, like you were saying to me a few days ago before I'd rewatched the film, you're like, man, this is a sweaty film. And it is a it's just it's like it's almost like even beyond a sweaty film it's like an oily film like everyone's just like everyone they they would pick them up with like um like you know when you go to the truck ironically the truck stops and there's the the claw where you could try to pull a toy out like a stuff animal out yeah it's like they they had a huge claw erected for this film and they would pick up each of the cast members nude with the claw on or with the claw they would dunk them in crisco and then pull them out and put them in clothing yes yes oh, it's just man. soaked man everyone's soaked like zumwalt's not even arm wrestling in the first scene like the first frame he's in he's just soaked yeah and he's, he's coming through his gray shirt right he's it's like coming through his wet. gray gold gym shirt that he's wearing backwards for some reason <laughs> Yes, oh man, so great! Yeah, I told you I watched. I watched this on Blu-ray and talk about some glistening pecs. Oh, it is glistening the way the light hits some of the oiled skin. It just, yeah, it just glistens, man. Uh, I love when Stallone and his son are they're bickering a bit in the truck and they're turning off the radio and turning it on, and Stallone <laughs> goes, "Hey, that was a nice song." <laughs> hey, 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 Mike, that song helped pay for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you who else helped pay for this movie is Alka-Seltzer. Yeah, and Brute Fabergé. And, man, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I was watching this, and uh, Hawk's pulling something into the Nevada desert, and it had to be. It couldn't have been anything else, man. It had to be Brute Fabergé. Yeah, if it would have been J&B, that was the only other thing it could have been. But th- yeah. it's amazing that it was Brute Fabergé. All these years later, it comes full circle. 
<laughs> which everybody in the film I think was covered in. <laughs> yes, they were, man. They did. <laughs> they definitely were, man. Uh, um, and it's great because this the brute Fabergé is revealed during a sunrise mountain training montage <laughs> with, with father and son. Yes. So it's pretty great. Uh, uh, nice exteriors, the desert and stuff. It's you know, it's cool. Um, I, I like, like the hot. What's that? I like the scenic. The scenic value of this film is is very high. I mean, it, yeah, it, it looked really good on Blu-ray. It didn't look like great, but it looked really good, and it was really nice to kind of revisit and you know remember how it's weird how scenic this movie is. You know, there's something about the American trucker movie that is mm-hmm. so inherently American, yes. and romantic. Yep, uh, for a job that is not easy. I know, uh, I know, you know, the truck drivers in Canada as well. I'm sure it's similar. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy life at all. Uh, And these people work. And Mm -hmm. uh, even though sitting and driving truck might not seem like work to some, it's work. Long hours. Long hours, away from family if you have one. Um, So there's some kind of romanticism with the job, almost like the lone cowboy or the lone man. Absolutely. I was going to say like a cowboy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really like that, that aspect of the film. Yeah, no, me too. I like the callbacks uh, and just the focal point on the hawk hood ornament. It adds a little something to the film. Yeah, he has to have it. He has to have it. Um, I, I think that one of the things, Sly, the stuff with father-son feels very natural, feels very real. And Stallone at this time had a couple sons. And I think he obviously drew on that for mm-hmm. making the film. Because right. sometimes when you see father-sons or you see couples in films... Relations, the, the relationship just seems forced and doesn't work, but it feels sincere. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, listen, it's a canon film about arm wrestling truckers, but uh, despite that, the father son stuff does feel sincere. You know, you know why I think it works? And this is where, you know, Stallone gets a lot of rap sometimes for his not being the greatest actor, but I think he knows from scene one that he fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, I think a lot of the scenes between him and the Michael character, the Mendenhall character, um, you realize that he knows this whole time that he really messed up and he's messed these first 10 or 12 years of this kid's life. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just lets this kid vent because mm-hmm. he feels like this kid deserves to get to vent. Yeah, he's not, he's not defensive and he just kind of lays it out there and leaves himself open to, to, some, to some hurt. I mean, you know, and you and I were saying in a meta way... Uh, it's weird for you and I to have seen this first from the son's perspective. Yes. And now we're both fathers ourselves of young boys. Yeah. So to kind of see it now from the father perspective while still remembering seeing it from the son's perspective is something deeper than I think we would have imagined getting into this film. But but you're right. He does see that he's messed up and he has to kind of um, leave himself vulnerable for whatever hurt he's going to uh, take from the boy because the boy needs to get that out. It needs to be some catharsis. Yeah, and I like that he took that approach, this kind of subtle, <laughs> quiet approach. He kind of lets this, this character vent and stuff. And even though this character, you know, this little boy, he comes off as kind of like this little rascal, almost like a little asshole at first. Yeah. Um, you know, kids rebel, and uh, that's what kids do, and they feel like they've been wronged, and I think it's it's totally normal for a kid to rebel that way. He actually rebels politely, weirdly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I like the angle he takes. Uh, of course, the uh, all the talk about cholesterol and all these other things. <laughs> cholesterol poisoning, and it's weird. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'll tell you, and you're right, because it would have been very easy for someone self-indulgent 
to take on like the arm wrestling rock star approach, mm-hmm. right? The bigger than life legend, and and he didn't. I mean, he didn't to his yeah. credit. Or the, or just the, uh, you know, I'm your father, and you're gonna like it. You know, you're gonna you're gonna make a you're gonna have this relationship with me whether you like it or not. That's right. You know, because yeah. you know sometimes the parental stance in films can be just like in real life. You know, I'm your dad, and you're gonna do mm-hmm. what I say. So. But he yeah. kind of takes the friend approach at first, and uh, I kind of, you know, I appreciate that because, you know, I just, I just feel like that was touching. It, that's mm-hmm. that's the weirdest part about this film. The weirdest part about this film is this film is easy to make fun of. Of course it is. If you're, if you don't have kids, you didn't watch it as a youngster. It's easy to just make fun of and have fun with and leave it at that. Because it is a bare bones film. It's a simple yeah. action film from the '80s. It's a canon film. I mean, it's totally all of these things. It's very easy to make fun of the the yep. casting, the overacting in spots, and everything else. But inside all of this, and I haven't seen Real Steel, but inside all of this is this very touching story of a father and a son. A little cheesy. Sure. But cheesy in just the way, cheesy of the era, maybe. Yes. Would yep. be the best way to say it. Not not so much cheesy because it's just cheesy, but it's it's 80s cheese. That's right. But it's touching. And I, I caught myself, and I told you this off the air when we talked on the phone the other night. That you know, I caught myself at moments, you know, almost tearing up. Oh yeah, no, for sure, man. To a, minimum, Again, to a canon help. film, <laughs> to a canon film. But you can't help it. Like I said, when you when it comes full circle for you as a as a as a man, mm-hmm. from a boy to a man, and looking at it from both perspectives, and bringing your own emotional stuff to the table, you can't help but do that. That that's that's you know, mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. Yes. So. And like you and I had said, we're going to be marks for father-son stuff in films. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, you, you know, we can telegraph it, and it's going to be an easy ploy to, to pull. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. Right. Um, 90 minutes. I mean, they, Golden Globes really understood the formula. Yes. What, what, what they were about, what their brand was about, what their audience wanted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, brilliant. They, just, they, they knew, and they didn't deviate from that. Uh, Robert Losha loves Dusty Rose interiors. <laughs> yes, he yes. Loves it. Uh, an hour in, it really breezes by. It's like, wow, we're already at the arm wrestling tournament. And I'll tell you, that tournament, there's a whole lot of GGTMC at that tournament. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's women, men, oiled up, half shirt, rolled head bands, members only jackets. Every man in this film, it seems, other than Lincoln Hawk, has a beard and or a mustache. Another GGT uh, TMC convention I'd like to put out there now going forward. Uncalled for wearing wearing of camouflage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many characters in the 80s would wear camouflage just to wear camouflage. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Grizzly does. Yeah, Grizzly does. Yes, he wears camouflage. <laughs> and it's a packed house. And I got to give it up that they must have shot. And it should be said, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Was it the the real life arm wrestling champion uh, John Verbank or Zdenk or Zbank? Zerbank is something like is it's a Polish name or something like that. Yeah, Polish somewhere in that Eastern Bloc. But um, he shows up for a hot minute. If you know, he looks like you see him. But uh, I like that we get these these um, little introductions to each of the characters: Grizzly and Mad Dog and the Canadian chab- champion Colonel Adams and. <laughs> It's uh, they they cut these little promos for each of them, and it, what's great is, and it's so so ridiculous, is that Grizzly, he's so awesome that during his match he eats a lit cigar, he swallows, chews up and swallows a lit cigar, yes. and he tops himself not to be outdone by himself, 
later on during an arm wrestling match, he takes a can of Valvoline oil and drinks it. <laughs> oh, man. It's incredible, man. And this film's so macho, even the refs are bearded and ponytailed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love those promos. It should be said, I'm all some of the best. I don't want to be second place. Second place sucks. <laughs> because I want to cripple him. Yeah. No. How are you? I, I don't know how you're going to cripple anyone arm wrestling, but, you know. Yeah. Well, Stallone, but, Stallone gets slightly injured. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the best of Hulk Hogan ways, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, the film's not very violent. Like, there's not a lot of fisticuffs. No, there's not. You it, notice that? It's a weird action movie because yeah. there's only, like, a few big action beats, right? The, the big, the big mm-hmm. scene probably being the semi going through the house. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is pretty crazy. Definitely. But there's there's not a whole lot of violence and stuff. Um, there, I love when Hawkins getting interviewed. Says, "When I turn my hat, the switch goes on," <laughs> and that's his thing. Well, know, yeah, turns- because there's that one moment, the first arm wrestling match he does. Is that not one of the f- craziest moments of acting you've ever seen? Is that like Nick Cage levels <laughs> of acting? Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> Where he's walking to the table. Yeah, it's like, man, Stallone's really got a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's how really, you you change the group's profile picture to like one of the, the that's that great moment, man. He's got these bug eyes and shit. It's like, what the fuck is <laughs> he doing? The, he's in the zone. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? You know? Oh, I know it's great, man. It's great. Well, those are uh, those are on my all yeah, right. those are on my notes. I just wrote soaked <laughs> capital letters because by the end of the film, everyone is soaked. Yeah, yeah and I did get chills. I gotta say, I did get chills at the end. I've seen the film. I know the film, but I still got chills. So, so. Yeah, no, that's the crazy thing, right? I mean, that's what I was telling you when I was on the. I, I don't know how I got all caught up in this fucking thing, <laughs> but I really did. Um, yeah. It really takes me back to that era of '80s, that innocence of the '80s, uh, before you know the prevalence of AIDS and all these other things that kind of. You know, kind of, we're always lurking over pop culture. Uh, you know, that's the good thing about the '80s. This kind of excess. Yeah. Um. Uh. <laughs> I put on. I'm trying to laugh at the brute Fabergé because I put at 12:40. You see it the first time. 12 minutes 40 seconds. You see it the first time, and we know we are east. I put. And we know we are eastbound and GGTMC bound, baby. <laughs> um. Uh, like convoy and maximum overdrive, though the trucks in this film have character. You know, yes. his car- his truck has character. Yeah, it's an older truck. Yeah, it almost looks like the truck from Duel a little I bit. I thought that, too. I totally thought <laughs> yeah. that, too. So I kind of had that. Um, yeah, so we get the Smasher. Like I say, that's the third time he's been on the show. And then Zumwalt, of course, he's been on the show three times. It's crazy to think these guys, these character actors have been on a show. But then when you think about the films we cover, it's, I guess. <laughs> they have that look that, that caters to that. Yes, yes, they look like, you know, <laughs> they look like they should have probably been professional wrestlers. So I guess it doesn't, it's not too surprising. <laughs> Um, again, yeah, like I say, the uh, I love how pumped Stallone gets, uh, and, and the arm wrestling to me has always been, and I don't know if you feel this way, but to me, among men, arm wrestling has always been the my dick is bigger than yours competition to end all competitions. Of course, man. I, of course. I haven't arm wrestled in, in years, but up until I was in my mid-20s, I thought I was pretty good, and it was just a thing. when you Up until you're a man of a certain age, you do feel the need to prove your masculinity. Yes. And what better way? <laughs> than through arm wrestling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, like you said, hot licks all over the place. Both films this week. Uh, this one especially. Oh, maybe yeah. I just noticed them even more on this one. But, man, hot licks all over yeah. the place, man. <laughs> Jesus. And tough tits. This is this is a movie made for our music page. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, you know, Father's Making Mistakes. This is interesting to me. This is where... 
the film really got to me, and I was pretty surprised at that. Uh, the relationship, the, the relationship, I don't even know what that is. The relationship <laughs> between uh, Stallone and Mike is, uh, it is touching. It is, uh, like I said earlier, you know, he lets him vent, and uh, he does some other things. And, you know, fathers and sons, those are always tricky relationships. Even if you're really close with your father or, you know, if you're, you know, I guess the other way around, we'll find out, won't we? Me and you mm-hmm. going forward. And some of us out there that listen to the show, we'll all find out. There, there comes a time when fathers and sons can sometimes butt heads. And uh, it's, it's, it's part of the growing process between men. Uh, I don't look forward to that time. Hopefully it won't be, you know, crazy like it was for me and my dad. Um, but there comes that time. And what, what I think the film does right is it realizes that people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Parents make mistakes. And even Robert Loge's character, even though he goes above and beyond to be the biggest asshole on the face of the planet, and mm-hmm. he's got all this money to do it, he really is coming from a genuine place. Yeah. In a weird no, way. If you look at it solely from his perspective, and you've got to take off his black hat and some of the insane lengths he goes, because <laughs> he needs to to thrust the film and to have a, that that character. But from his perspective, yeah, he's really doing something that he feels justified in and not so out of left field and being feeling justified about. Yeah, and there's a touching moment where Loja just looks at the two of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a brilliant piece of acting from Robert Loja. Yeah. It's, it's a little moment, but it's a brilliant little piece of acting from uh, Loja, who, of course, is a great actor. Um, this is part of his uh, phase where he would play tanned Cuban old men because he looks, <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me from Scarface and stuff. Yeah. The, um, um, but I, I think that that's one of the weird things. Like in a lot of films like this, they would have like, like Mike, the reason why Loja wants Mike is because Mike's worth money. Yeah, or Mike has a business he's going to inherit, or Mike has That's right this. when he's eighteen, Mike yeah. can sign it over. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. But now this one, he just wants to take care of Mike because he doesn't feel like Lincoln Hawk was a good enough man for his daughter, right? So, and in turn, his grandson. Yes. So I mean. He's coming from a genuine place. He really is. And so that's one of the really strange and touching things about this film. Now, I didn't notice that in 86, 87. No. no. Because in 86, 87, I thought, this guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. But as a grown man, I realized that really everybody's just looking out for Mike in this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's pretty interesting uh, looking at it now. Uh, some things you wouldn't see in films nowadays, you wouldn't see a 12-year-old boy take off in a truck and drive across country or no, drive to the airport. <laughs> No, because the next week you'd get you'd hear it all over the news and the internet and Facebook and YouTube, and then the film would have to issue someone from the film would have to issue uh, an official statement. Yes, and yeah. yeah, yeah, and of course you know there's political incorrectness all over the place, which is, you know, what I miss the most about our culture. <clears throat> and I know it sounds awful to say this, but I do miss political incorrectness. The only people that can get away with that now are comedians, but it used to be that. It was part of our culture. It was inherent. Is it wrong all the, all the time? No. Is it wrong most of the time? Yeah, sometimes. But it's not always a bad thing. It's kind of, you know, culture is what it is, and there's going to be political incorrectness. But nowadays, people are so worried about offending people. It just drives me crazy. It's it's hurt the culture, in my opinion. But I would agree with you. Yes. 100%. Uh, um, <laughs> I like when you think about the competition, the arm wrestling. It's almost like a bunch of cavemen. Sitting yeah. around talking because everybody's Cocaine just cocaine fueled cavemen. Everybody's just screaming at each other, <laughs> yelling. They're banging their chest. They're oiled up. They're well, just they're mate, man. My wife saw, as is always the case. I always got to have one of these little stories. My wife saw the uh, back end of the film. She saw the arm wrestling stuff, and first thing she said was, "Wow, Stallone looks really young." Yeah, 
was like, yeah, this is, you know, 20 years ago, almost, uh, you know, almost 30, uh, almost 30 years ago. Jesus. Wow. I was like, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a totally different world, you know, than what he is now. And, I'll and tell it, you something. <laughs> Stallone would have been closer in age to us than anything in this film. Yeah. That's crazy. Don't <laughs> that's nuts. 86. He was probably born around like 47, 48, something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. Insane. But, um, she came in and then of course you know she sees him talking in front of the truck and stuff and then it cuts to the arm wrestling scene and she just looks at me and rolls my eyes like she's like I'm out of here <laughs> you, know, you just get these guys going <laughs> Tasmanian devil man. I know it's like what the fuck is going on you know out of context again right she, she's I, I joke around with her all the time she walks in so many times where she's I'm watching a movie and uh, everything's out of context so she'll walk in and without fail it's like a sex scene I'm waiting for the moment when, like, if we was to cover Bad Lieutenant and she just walks in during the Harvey Cattell nude scene, and I got to explain that one. <laughs> yeah, he's muttering and crying, or he's beaten off outside the car window. Yeah, which is unexplainable to anybody out of context. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah you see what he's doing here is he's, he's really yeah. suffering for his heart. Um, <laughs> well, my son's crying near the room, so I'm probably going to have to wrap this up pretty quick. Even though I think the uh, the message is handled in that clunky, cheesy 80s way. It still works for me, and even more now, obviously, having a son of my own and, and things like that. It's it's one of the few times, when father-son stuff comes up, it's one of the few times where real life kind of intercedes with my thoughts on films. Um, I try to, as much as possible, not let my personal opinion of things, and anybody that knows me knows I don't I don't make a lot of comments about things that bother me, uh, just because I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to keep things to myself. And I know, I mean, I know you, and I know several others, you know, we... We like to vent, you know, with social media and things like that. And I, I respect that. But, you know, a lot of people sometimes think that I'm, you know, very pacifist and I don't say anything. I have beliefs. I just don't say anything because, you know, I don't like things pushed on me and I don't like to push things on people. So, um, but I think that, you know, reviewing a film from that angle also is unfair to the film. If you yeah. review a film off personal belief, you're not really given the film uh, a true shake. You're kind of just you're you're taking your opinion of something else, and uh, that's right. uh, that, that's not the way you review a piece of work that somebody else did, like a book, a film, a TV show, a piece of art, anything. I think you got to review it as it is, and you can have the conversation later about the other stuff. But I think if you're going to broadcast your review, I think you got to keep that in perspective and, and control it. Yep, no, I agree. Are you, it's one thing to bring personal experience at the table. It's another thing to let personal opinion completely color something um, when it should be looked at as objectively as you can. Right. Because, I mean, if I could say some things on the air that would probably blow people's minds if they knew I believed the way I believed. But I've always kind of, you know, kept my, uh, you know, because this is a public forum and I'm putting myself out there, I've kind of always kept that kind of stuff close to the vest. Of course. Yeah. it's not the, We're not that show. We're a yeah. film review show. A lot of people don't know I'm a lot like Mel Gibson. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, like, that guy's got some serious rage issues. <laughs> but uh, no, that's my thoughts on the film, man. And you know what? I'm going to buy this on Blu-ray. I rented it on Blu-ray. Uh, the Blu-ray's cheap, and I'm going to buy this motherfucker because this this film, uh, you know, I plan on watching it again and again. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It gave me chills watching it. It gives me chills talking about it. And it's fun and simple, goofy stuff, but it, it man, it, it packs a punch. Somehow, some way, it does, like a lot of stolen films from the 80s. Mm -hmm. All right, that's my thoughts on Over the Tab. Nice. All right, make or break is 
the arm wrestling stuff. I mean, the father-son stuff really works for me. Uh, well, but I, I felt like for me just to pick that would kind of be really biased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I, it's, my, it's the most touching stuff for me in the film. If it had just been an arm wrestling film, it wouldn't have been as close to my heart. If it had just been a guy, it would have just been another fun 80s film. But it's always going to have a little piece of my heart because of the father-son stuff. Um, so I tried to, I tried to maybe overly push myself, distance myself from that, and just say the arm wrestling stuff. MVT is sly. I think he's good. There's a few little subtle moments, despite it being a canon arm wrestling trucker, oily men, cocaine fueled <laughs> uh, bad guys mm. film. Uh, I think he has a few moments where he he, he shows a little bit of complexity, a little bit of uh, range as an actor. People, some people may scoff at that, and that's fine. I don't care. I, I feel that way. Um, my score is a 7.25 out of 10. Uh, I, I'm really glad we re- revisited this film, man. It's it's one that I'm also going to buy on Blu-ray. Um, I can't wait to watch it with my boys. And uh, I really like I mean, I can't see. It's hard for me, man, because I want to give it a higher score just based on personal opinion. But just right, keeping right. it. Keeping right. it fair to the film, I gotta probably say that's my score. Right, right, yeah, I'm, I'm totally there with you. This is a real fist pumper of a movie, you know. Oh yeah, it's, and not in the cruising way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that was a different type of fist pumping. <laughs> During that episode, you can call me Smasher. <laughs> but anyway, um, a different my, kind of cigar being cheap my, on that one. My make or break is the uh, the arm wrestling itself. I really love it. I mean, it really doesn't take long to get to it. I mean, it builds up with this relationship, and then boom, next thing you know, you're at a tournament. Yep. Uh, I really think it's the make or break of the film. The trucking culture is only slightly there, but it, the mixture of the two is pretty great. Yeah. It, it does start the debate now. We need to find out what came first, Hands of Steel or Over the Top? It's very interesting. And I can't remember what I gave Hands of Steel. I don't remember what you gave it either. I score probably gave was. it a higher score only because I was... <laughs> Caught up in I it. think is I think I do I do like Hands of Steel more as far as when I take away all personal bias I like Hands of Steel better okay. because it's so over, it is ironically more over the top <laughs> than over the top but when you add the personal touch and some of the subtle stuff with the father son I emotionally my heart says my heart says over the top my dick says Hands of Steel <laughs> nice nice there you go nice I like that um <laughs> That's going to be quoted on the Facebook page. <laughs> uh, my MVT for the film is the father-son relationship. I really think nice. it works. It hangs on. It 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 it's genuine. It's not. Uh, it's genuine in an '80s way, but it's still genuine. You yeah. can't fault it. It is a little small schmaltzy. That's the word. Uh, but it works. Works for me. My score, man. We're on the same page. With this one, seven point two five. As nice. much as I love this film, uh, you know, I have to give it the review on the film itself and uh 7.25 is a fair score i think because it does have some flaws and it is very 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 incredibly so much so simple mm-hmm. uh, such a simple movie it's amazing uh <laughs> how simple it really is i mean because it literally is pick the boy up bond a little bit arm wrestle once bond a little more run a truck into the house arm wrestle again i mean it, it's it's a very simple story but uh, I think told with some uh, some some well thought out um, direction and, and screenplay writing. I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. You know, it again. Like I said, it's easy to make fun of, but yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a solid film, and it's one of my favorite Stallone performances. Lincoln Hawk. I, I yeah. just 
the subtlety of his performance is really great. For sure. Because he can't go over the top himself. <laughs> All right, man. That's our thoughts on uh, over the top. And that's uh, the big show. That's everything. I, I don't think we have time for pleasantries this week, sadly. Yep. Check out all of our friends um, that we mention every week, be it um, be it uh, podcasts, blogs, websites, people that support us on Facebook, that have Facebook groups, and certainly our vendors and the people that support us. Um, yes. A lot of great people doing similar things to us in, in the same world that, that you all would love if you gave them a chance. So. Yep. And by saying that, our next week, our show is uh, Django Kill, If You Live, Shoot, which is sponsored by BoulevardMovies.com. Yeah. We're going to be doing the Blu-ray of that from uh, Blue Underground. So, Is this the first time Million has actually been on our show? No, he was in the last movie. Oh, yeah, but sort of briefly. But, yeah, but as a Million film, yes, this is the first time we've done a Million film. Yeah. Where we've done one of the, the great European actors. Yeah, one of our um, favorites, I think, actor wise and spaghetti wise. He's been. On, he was on. Uh, he was in that other uh, Eurocrime we did too. The one with uh, what's his name? The mustache, Merle and. Uh, oh. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Um, I can't remember the title of it. Uh, Cynic throughout in the fist. Yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, been, speaking of mustaches, that <laughs> loaf picked. Yeah, he's been on the uh, show before, but uh, this is a true uh, million joint. So. Yep. Him top billing. So, and uh, one of the most, one of the more infamous spaghetti westerns. So, absolutely. So, it'll be fun to talk about. Um, we've been talking about a lot of spaghettis lately, and I'm liking that. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. All right. So, that is the big show, and I think uh, we'll say adios. Adios. And of course, we got to close the show with this track right here. <laughs>
，全世界。